This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. So welcome everybody to uh, the Wednesday evening Bible study at Christchurch in Jerusalem. We are all currently on Zoom, and some of us aren't even in Jerusalem. We've got uh, brothers there from Mexico, uh, uh, but most of us are, are hanging out in, in, in Jerusalem. International. International little group. And uh, we've been wrestling uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, before, prior to Passover, with Deuteronomy chapter 6, leading to the big, uh, the big, big commandment. And what we're going to do is not, we're not going to rehash uh, what we did, but we're, we're going to kind of go over some of the similar material as a bit of a refresher, but also look at it from a different way in that Moses has been giving the Ten Commandments and, is, and God has been speaking to creation, which is wonderful. Uh, and, and yet there seems to be this big gap between um, Genesis and then God interacting with creation again uh, since, since the flooding of Noah. Uh, and so what has he been doing? And so we will look at uh, the seven laws of, laws of Noah vis-a-vis the Ten Commandments, and, uh, and that will, will sum up part of the ending of Chapter 6 where, where Moses uh, says, you know, okay, guys, you can do this, which seems to be an antithesis of typical Protestant theology, which says you're evil and you can't. Uh, which would then beg the question, why would God say these things? Uh, which, is a, which is a legitimate question, and we need to wrestle with it and discuss it and talk about it, uh, and we will. Uh, before we do, uh, we, we, usually when we gather in the name of the Lord, um, we're present as brothers and sisters. The Spirit is also present, which is bonding us all together, which is wonderful. Uh, we need to pray. And so um, can I have a volunteer? And by that, I'm going to go for the third little face in the queue. That's Neville. Brother, can you pray us in as we study the word of the Lord? Yeah, that's great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Thank you for the means that is able to bring us together over a distance. But Father, we pray above all that your Holy Spirit would be amongst us and would guide us and reveal new things to us, to your praise and glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So uh, tonight we're going to tackle some of the um, uh, later verses of, of, of Deuteronomy 6 that we're going to read out loud. We're going to go over the material from two weeks ago. And, uh, and then during our discussion, I'm going to do readings from uh, the Book of Jubilees and the Book of the Didache. Uh, both of them, those books are not in our Bibles currently, although they have been in the past. And they have certainly influenced uh, both the early believers and the church at large, even to this day. Um, Okay, so going over uh, the material from two weeks ago. Now, we actually studied 18 verses, but as I was writing out um, my summary, I ended up summarizing um, the first 12. And I thought, you know what, that's actually enough. And uh, we'll pick it up from 13 um, onwards. However, this is a summary of two weeks ago from, from Deuteronomy 6. 
Moses calls attention to the one command, the one ruling principle amongst all others. Sounds a bit like Lord of the Rings, though, doesn't it? With the old one ring thing. The Hebrew is actually an emphatic statement in singular form. Moses starts by saying, this is the commandment. Now, there are 613, but this is the commandment, the greatest of the commandments that God is telling Moses to teach the people. The future of the Jewish people, as they enter the land, rests on their obedience during the present, says Moses. Right? If you obey, your future will be secure. The blessings of the past remain, however, that is, the blessings that the Jewish people receive, that the Israelites receive from the obedience and righteousness of the patriarchs, that still remains. So you get a blessing from the past, but your future depends on the present. Does that, I know that sounds a little cryptic, but is it clear? In the, yeah, for the Jewish people, and Paul mentions it too, the Jewish people are still beloved because of the past, because of the blessings of the patriarchs, yet their individual future rests on their present and how they behave. So Moses reminds us that hearing the voice of God and learning his instructions, his Torah, should give us a healthy fear and awe of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, the wise man once said, is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. Wisdom leads to obedience and thus also to long life, which is uh, uh, an interesting thing that appears several times in the Torah, that uh, obedience and looking and hearing the voice will give you long life, particularly long life in the land. Verse 3, we hear that uh, hearing and obeying will lead to an increase in fertility in the land. The children of Israel will multiply. Not just the cattle and the crops and their wealth, but also them physically. However, once we as a people forget the Lord and his voice, we discover that there will be a drop in fertility. And this is true across the known world today. Forget God and our civilizations die. Okay? You throw the Ten Commandments off your wall and suddenly you wake up and realize that you have an aging population, not a lot of young people, everyone's becoming self-obsessed and individualistic, and family life is decreasing. Interesting that God put this in his word right at the start. Don't forget me, obey my commands, and you'll have, you'll have big families. Verse 4, Ooh, here it comes. The greatest of the commandments, known as the Shema, instructs us in who is God and what our duty is to him. God is the Lord, and he is the only Lord. He is in heaven. He is alone. There are no other gods. And we discussed some of the different meanings of, of, uh, of, uh, and, and translations of the word here, O Israel. And uh, one of the ones that we liked and the one that is applied by Jewish people is that the Lord, he is one, and he is the Lord alone. There are no other gods in heaven. Our duty is to love this God with our whole being, with 
everything who we are as people, with our heart, our soul, and our strength, which is translated as property in the Aramaic translations. Love is a choice, not solely an emotion that lies outside the control of the lover. Why should we love God with heart, soul, and strength? Because those are the attributes that God also possesses. And we have them since we are made in his image. The prophet Jeremiah in chapter 32 verse 41 reveals that God himself has a heart and a soul. And he does things by his might and his power. And so God also has heart, soul, and strength. And then we as being made in his image turn around and love him back with everything. Now translating one language to another, in this case Hebrew into Greek, often requires several words to be used to explain the meaning of a single word. And we see this clearly in the Septuagint translations, of which there are at least two at the time of Jesus. Okay? So there are two different Greek versions uh, of the Hebrew Bible uh, at the time of Jesus, and their translations of the Shema slightly different. The word mind was added to help the Greek culture understand the Hebrew word heart. Thus, we find in the New Testament several versions of the Shema being quoted by Jesus in the Gospels. So the Shema is quoted by Jesus in all the Gospels, but when it's done, it's never the same, which creates people to ask all kinds of questions, or how can this be wrong, if this is the word of God, etc., etc. However, we have to remember that at the time of Jesus, when you're writing Greek, it's very hard to translate Hebrew concepts and words word for word, so they used multiple words. And so when you had different versions, you ended up with different different words. <laughs> and you find that being quoted in the New Testament, okay? Both by people who are quoting the Shema to Yeshua and, and at the same time as Yeshua's quoting them back. So, and we went through them uh, a couple of weeks ago, looking at the different uh, Gospels and, and, and uh, <laughs> the Shema is used, okay? Uh, the Hebrew word echad, which is actually in, in, the, in the Shema, carries with it a sense of a composite unity within the meaning of one. And this is reflected by Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai in the Talmud, who was a student of Rabbi Akiva, who discusses the Shema and discusses the unity of God. And in the Siddur prayer book, to this day of the Jewish people, page 13 of the Siddur translates, the Shema as, Hear, O Israel, the eternal our God is an eternal unity. Thus knowing that the very Hebrew phrase carries with it uh, uh, a sense of more than one. If you wanted to say one, you would have used a different word. The love of God should be impressed upon our hearts. Again, Moses directs us towards the importance of the intention of the heart and that this command should be taught to the children. Faith is to be transmitted by the family. It should become a part of daily life and everyday shows social interaction, also involving objects around the house and the person. That is, you end up wearing phylacteries, you end up uh, putting mezuzot on your buildings that uh, the, the, uh, the, the nature of God and his Torah and his, and his commandments become part of who we are. We talk about them around our house. We talk about them with our friends. We talk about them while we're walking. And we physically see them on buildings and, 
and on, on each other. Conquest and invasion will bring the spoils of war. This is verse 10. So the children of Israel are standing before Moses on the plains of Moab, and they are about to go in and invade uh, the land of Canaan, the Holy Land. And this is going to bring spoils of war. Thus Moses reminds the people that success will bring the dangers of wealth, power, titles, and rank. Because at the moment, they don't have any of those. They have no kings. They have no princes, they have no houses, uh, they're wandering around uh, a desert. But soon, they are about to have all of those. Soon they will have houses, soon they will have fields and uh, vineyards and ranks and titles and princes. Success needs to be internalized, lest forgetfulness ensure and God is abandoned for false gods and false narratives. That is, you begin to rewrite history, uh, with a lie and begin to believe it. Unfortunately, it is all too easy to forget. So what's the solution? How do you inoculate yourself against forgetfulness? Ed education and Torah seem to be the remedies that Moses advocates to the people. Okay? Teach, study, learn, pass this on. And these need to be internalized. You need to apply them, yes, uh, uh, to book, yes, to memory, but also to your heart. So these need to be internalized. That is applied to the heart of the individual and taught to the next generation. That's a summary of our uh, discussions from two weeks ago. Okay, any questions on, on that? Great. All right. In that case, we're going to pick up the text. And uh, we're going to have a little look. We're going to read uh, from verse 13 to the end of 6. Okay. So um, keeping in mind what the Shema says, because we'll, we'll draw that again in a minute. But we need to get through these last text, and then we'll, we'll start the discussion. Yep. Bernard, do you have a question? Bernardo? No question. Just I just saw that Nancy joined. I invited her. She's living in Texas right now. Oh, Nancy from Texas? Howdy, I'm here. Okay, that's a Texan accent right there. Okay, <laughs> great to see you. Hey, Chaya's here. I haven't seen you for a while. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, good to be there. Yeah, you're alive and well and safe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, bit, a bit bored to my surroundings. You're a bit bored? Yeah. A bit bored. Okay. Yes, I'm also they looking. They've got plenty to do, but they want to see people. Yes. yes. Yeah, we're the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Find all these excuses to try and leave the house. I need to take the garbage out. I need to go help them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I walk the dog for the Sabbath. Yeah. I yeah. walk the dog ten times a day. Yeah, that's right. The dog's actually dead, but I'm going to walk him anyway. Okay. So. <laughs> yes. All right. So uh, we're looking at Deuteronomy six. Okay, looking at verse 13. So I'll, I'll read the passage uh, for the recording and then, and then we'll see. So remember, God has, uh, has said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, he says, fear the Lord your God. Serve him only and take your, your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of the land. 
Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and the decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take the good land the Lord has promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord has said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, the decrees and the laws the Lord our God has commanded us? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. And he brought us out from there to bring us and give us the land he promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Okay, so just on a surface reading of that last few, uh, last half of uh, Deuteronomy 6. Is there anything there that stands out? Anything there you haven't noticed before? Which, which version are you reading from? I was just reading from an NIV. Okay. <clears throat> I hadn't noticed before the clear statement in the last verse there that righteousness is expressed in the terms of covenant fulfillment, covenant obedience. Yes. I, I have to also admit that when I read this a couple of weeks ago, I was struck by, wait a second, God really can't be saying that, surely. And then looking at different versions, of, oh, yeah, actually he is. <laughs> Even though in the New Testament it says... Um, Righteousness by faith. Yeah. They're very strong in that part. <laughs> Can you explain it? Can I explain it? Yeah. Uh, yes, in 10 words or less? Sure, yeah. I, I'll, I'll, I will describe the great mystery that we've been discussing for the last 3,000 years. Yeah. Um, it is interesting that Moses is saying, if you obey this, this will be considered to you as righteousness. Yet, we hear also in the, in, in the prophets and in the New Testament, no one is righteous, no, not one. Yet, we also read in Genesis that Noah is righteous. And uh, you go, hang on a second, how, how does this all work? No one is righteous, no, not one, except Noah. Uh, and Abraham believes, and that's a credit to him as righteousness. Perhaps we need to understand some of the nuances that Hebrew, uh, and uh, being a Hebrew speaker, you would also know, Hebrew words have multiple meanings. And it's not always easy to do a very simple uh, translation. Um, but because of those nuances, it gives us the ability to talk, to wrestle, to discuss, and to, and to come up with a, with a 
with the thinking, God is giving a series of laws. If he knows you can't obey them, why bother giving them? The same question could be asked of a parent with a child. You put boundaries and rules around a child. Is the child going to obey them? But you give them anyway <laughs> because you know they're good, because you know that they protect, because you know that uh, in the end the child will return to those laws and boundaries and, and rules. And so, um, but it is an interesting concept that God gives rules, yet he also must know our character and know we as humans couldn't possibly do all of them, yet at the same time, those rules by definition from God have to be wholly just and good. Um, uh, otherwise, you're ending up with uh, this, this scenario where um, God only uh, creates uh, a, a situation where people will fail so that he can bring in a Messiah, which would make God utilitarian. That is, God uses people just once. He just uses people. I'm going to use you. I'm going to give you some laws. No, you're all going to break it. But that's fine because then I'll send Jesus and, and, and save a bunch of Gentiles. Okay, Roddy, raise the hand. Go for it, Roddy. You're on. Okay, my version says it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to obey all these mitzvot. Correct. That would be a fair, fair translation. All right, so are mitzvot the same as instructions, as rulings, or are they something different? Well, the, the, the thing about the, the Bible is it constantly, or the, New, the Hebrew Bible, it constantly uses four different words um, to, to play around in the Torah. You get the chokim, you get the mishpatim, you get the mitzvot, and uh, um, I think there's masaot as well. It's like a, and, and torot, even the Torah is in plural. Okay? So you end up with these uh, multiple different words. And we haven't got a clue as to exactly how you're supposed to translate them. And so it's very interesting to watch some of the rabbinical commentaries when they even play with the words. So even, even within, this, within this chapter at the beginning, uh, God says, I, I need you to keep my chokim my, v'mishpatim. Um, my, uh, yeah, well, what are those? What, what is a judgment and what is a law? And um, so, uh, some of the commentaries and the ones that I, I, I sort of resonated with uh, in, in, in Jewish commentaries in the Talmud is that they were saying there are some rules in the Torah that we just actually don't understand. Okay? Those are the, the chokim. Like we do not understand why you're not meant to mix linen and wool together. Okay? Shutness. We don't get it. But there doesn't seem to be any reason why. Okay? Yet we can understand some of the mishpatim because they seem to have a value to them. They seem to have a moral relevance. That is, don't murder. Why should I murder? Well, because the guy I'm killing doesn't really like it, and neither does his wife or his kids. And so there seems to some rules seem to have a moral relevancy to them, and some rules seem to have no relevancy to them. Yet they are rules, and so they had they they turn those into different different different. 
I mean, verse 17 is a prime example. Verse 17? Observe, observe 17. Yeah. Observe diligently the mitzvot of yod heh vav your God, and his instructions, yeah. and the laws. But then the only thing we see in this last sentence is mitzvot. That's correct. There seems to be now, a sentence. Mm. Now, if that is righteousness, and we look in Romans 10.4, I think, Yeshua died for the law of righteousness, but which means those may not be there, but not all of these, necessarily all of these other instructions and teachings and rulings. Just think about it. Yeah, and we'll think about that in relation to um, the set, what we call the seven uh, laws of, of Noah. And this is in response to a, um, an email that I received as people were, were discussing um, Deuteronomy. Um, and you hear the Ten Commandments. Um, how do the Ten Commandments stack up against the laws that God has already previously given the people? I mean, God creates the world. And God interacts with the world. He interacts with Adam and Eve. He interacts with a family, Abraham. Uh, he interacts with Noah and, and, and a family. It seems to be lots of interaction. And then there's this long period of silence. And finally, God reveals himself and says, hey, I'm, I'm God. And by the way, I have some instructions. And they seem to be largely to Israel, which begs the question, what is God doing with the rest of his creation? Doesn't he like it? Of course he does, because he turned around and said it was good. Which leads people to jump back into what has he been discussing with, uh, with, with Noah? And you end up with um, uh, this phrase, the seven laws of Noah. And does anyone know off the top of their head what the seven laws of Noah are? I don't. I have to keep looking it up, by the way. So don't worry. And, um, you know, Chabad loved to run around and tell all the Gentiles that you just got to hang out with these seven laws and you'll be fine. And um, so officially, the seven laws of Noah are as follows. Do not worship idols. Marry to have children. Do not commit adultery. Do not consume blood. Do not steal. Do not murder. And do not bear false witness. Um... If those are the seven laws that God gives Noah, how do they differ to the ten laws that God gives Israel? Is there anything there, obviously, that you see standing out that God is not giving Noah? Well, the one that really stands out for me is that, that um, in Genesis chapter 9, you get the requirement for... Um, capital punishment for murder. Yeah, I mean that—that that is one of the biggest statements there in in verse six or whatever it is. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in His own image. Yep. So I've always been puzzled why uh, the requirement for uh, well, in principle, for capital punishment for these sort of things is not included in the seven laws of Noah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's actually read Genesis 9, okay? It's the first 17 verses, okay? And, um, and, and, and have a look at the laws that are there in the text and then have a look at the laws that everybody says are the seven laws of Noah and suddenly you realize, oh, I'm not 100% sure that they're exactly the same. 
does require a little bit of eccentricities. Okay? And we're going to discover that in the second table period, they've been thinking about this for quite some time. Okay? Um, could be because the Jewish people had been in captivity amongst Gentiles for quite some time now and had been dialoguing with them and relating to them and having discussions about who they were and not who they're, who they're not uh, and, and ended up might actually have been liking them. And it's always hard to talk to someone you don't like. Oh, by the way, you're going to hell. Um, shame. Um, and, so, and so there could have been these, these uh, interesting dialogues that, uh, that they have. But let's have a look at uh, Genesis 9. Okay, I'll, I'll read it. So Genesis 9, chapter, uh, verse 1. And then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of all, uh, the fear of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea, they are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plant, I now give you everything. But you cannot eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from every human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by human shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the, in the clouds. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy your life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind of the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. All right. So that's where we get the seven laws of Noah. So if you just did a surface reading, what commands would you come up with that God is making? Because he says it. I don't know, about six times. I am making a covenant with you. Oh, and every living creature on this planet. Uh, what's left. Um, and he creates this, this, this covenant. What does it, uh, what does it, what's the obvious commands? Be fruitful and multiply. Yeah, that's one. That doesn't seem to be in the seven laws of Noah, does it? <laughs> Be fruitful and multiply. And so what they do is they, they translate that to marry so you can have kids. Okay? 
Does God say get married? No. So we're going to have to imply how we create life. Right? God just says be fruitful. All right. Well, how do we do that? Not 100% sure. I could come up with some interesting ways. Okay. Um, and, uh, yep. And most of them probably illegal. But the, 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 the seven laws of Noah shrink, not, not shrink, they coalesce the commandment to be fruitful and put it into the realm of a, of a union between a man and a woman, which we call marriage. Okay? But it is the first command that God says. Yes, he blesses Noah and says, now go out and multiply. Well, the only thing about marriage that in the first two chapters of Genesis that God says is not good is that Adam is alone, right? He said, that's not good. It's not good. It is and then he created marriage. Yes, that's right. right. But notice he never said it's, it's, it's women who have trouble being alone. It's, it's men. <laughs> I mean, men, men are just useless on their own. Okay, it's, it's right there, Genesis chapter 1. Okay? <laughs> but, but yes, so you, you get from, from the initial story of creation that there is this union between a man and a woman. Okay, and while there isn't a marriage ceremony, you should read some of the Jewish commentaries about this, okay? They will have a wedding ceremony for Adam and Eve. They will have Michael and Gabriel. They'll do the hair, okay? They'll even say they fix the hair of Eve, okay? They're hairdressers, all right? And, uh, and they hold up the chuppah and God comes down and he presents the bride and they have this whole ceremony. Not in the text. It's a nice little ad lib. Get into Genesis 9, be fruitful and multiply. Okay. That could lead to some very interesting relationships if, if you just took that as a straight literal command. Could it not? Yes. I'll just say the word yes. And, uh, and so you end up with, with people saying, well, actually, we need, to, we need to, I know what the text says, but we need to put it into perspective. We need to put it into, um, we need to interpret it. And so it's interpreted into being um, a union between a man and a woman, particularly because we've already got uh, that first union in the, in the garden. Okay. What else is uh, in, in the text? Well, the next, the next one I see is, is the food. Yeah. What we can eat and what we can't eat, right? Yep, yep. But um, as, I, as I understand it, it is implied because before that, um, it, it talks about unclean and clean animals. It does. So that, that word, every moving thing that lives, should be understood as every moving thing that is clean, that lives. Right. That's, that's well. That's one interpretation. Um, there are other interpretations, and uh, the the interesting thing about Genesis, about the the book of uh, of the beginnings, is it has it creates questions, and the initial questions are: um, 
Cain and Abel offer sacrifices in a garden. Who told them to do that? Why are they offering sacrifices? Not only that, why are we killing animals when animals are things we cannot eat? Yet, later on in Leviticus, we discover that that's what you do with your sacrifice of an animal. You eat it. And so it creates all these discussions and, 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 the, and the, the commentaries will be without end, I think. And so you have... Aaron, about the sacrifices of Cain and Abel. Yep. Um, some people think they're equivalent according to what their expertise was. One was a keeper of sheep and one was a tiller of the ground with, um, with wheat or whatever it is. But because we know that they were effectively vegetarians, that the equivalent sacrifice of Abel would have been the fleece of the sheep or some cheese or something like that. In other words, the things that they used that was valuable from them in the way that they lived, in the same way that the grain was valuable from the field. Mm -hmm. So somewhere, and this is the mystery, is how Abel got the idea that actually it's not just the produce that is valuable to me, there's something essential about the life of this animal that will make the difference. Mm. And so we find out in the Hebrews that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. Yeah, I haven't uh, heard that uh, th thinking before. That's interesting. Mm. Yeah, it, it begs a, a lot of questions as to what's going on in the garden. And again here, uh, uh, God is giving um, this uh, commanding for food. In particular, while there might be discussion of what meats we can and cannot eat, what is one of the things we definitely can't eat? Blood. Can't eat blood. And um, if you, you can't eat blood. So cast your mind to another Bible verse where a group of non-Jews are required to not eat blood. What, what chapter and verse would you get? But in the other verse where it lists, where it says about the blood, it doesn't list the fish. Hmm. So apparently we can have the blood of the fish. Okay. Um, but yeah, in terms of not eating blood, which Bible verse jumps out at you? Acts 15, the Council of Jerusalem. Acts 15. And it's interesting that when you have the Acts 15 again, and they're talking to the Gentiles, um, it would have been simple to say, hey, you know, we've got the seven laws of Noah, or we're all listening to the Bible, and you're all doing fine. But food is, is important. And so these, this idea of giving commandments to people uh, and restricting their intake of blood was a very big deal, both for Noah and for the Gentile community that uh, were largely essentially pagans. Um, and, and perhaps you can, you can all think of verses like life is in the blood, without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. Um, blood is something that God makes, and if you shed it, he requires it. And, and you can see it here. Um, whoever sheds human blood, their blood will be shed. And he will require it from animals too. It's interesting, isn't it? God says, I will demand an accounting from every animal. Surely aren't animals just killing things because they need to eat them? 
Or is it possible that some animals also actually kill things without needing to? It's possible. Uh, we have an animal in Australia that does exactly that. Anyone ever heard of a dingo? Yeah, it's a very violent animal and it will just kill things for the sake of killing. Not for eating, not for, it'll just kill. And that's uh, a, a nasty little, little thing. And so when I read verses like this, I can see that God himself will say, hey, that is not a good thing you do. Right? I understand you can chase the gazelle and you can track it down and you can feed your kids. But uh, killing 10 gazelles for no reason, well, that's just not right. Okay, so after doing uh, this, because we're made in the image of God, and, uh, uh, and again, there's another commandment in verse 7 to be fruitful and multiply. Um, where do you think they get the other commands of Noah from? Does it say, thou shalt not steal? Actually, no, it doesn't. Yet in the seven laws of Noah, that is one of them. Okay. Um, does it say thou shalt not bear false witness or lie? doesn't say that in, in Genesis 9, but that is one of, of the seven laws of Noah. So what you find is they've taken this little, little chapter 9 and they've really done some very hard exegesis to pull out these laws, which you might think are well, actually not really there in the text. Okay. Um, what is not, what, what, is, what are some of the differences between the seven laws and the Ten Commandments? What are the three that are not there? Okay, here are the seven laws again. Don't worship idols. Well, it doesn't say don't worship idols in, in um, Genesis 9. Okay. doesn't actually say to worship God either, right? I mean, it does, it does definitely for the Jewish people. Definitely, you will love the Lord your God. Right? You shall have no other gods. And so that's very clear in, in, uh, in Moses and his discussion with, with Israel. But when God comes and talks to Noah, it's almost like a fait accompli. Of course there are no other gods. In fact, between me and Noah, there are no other humans either. I mean, you're pretty much it. Um, and so it, it, you can see how the Jewish people have, have, have created this, this exegesis. Of course Noah realized there was no other gods because... There's no other humans either. Okay? So don't worship idols. doesn't say to worship God. And so imagine you're a Gentile and you're walking through the street of uh, Tzvat, which I did, and uh, Chabad come out and talk to you, which they did, and they say, hey, you're a Gentile, you need to worship, uh, just follow the seven laws of Noah. Okay, yeah, what are they? <coughs> worship idols. Okay. Well, what should I worship then? Yeah, I know what I'm not supposed to worship, but it doesn't actually tell me what I am. It gives me no discussion under who this God is. However, I'm supposed to marry to have kids. All right, so my, 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 um, my, my need to be fruitful, which is also a commandment for Israel, uh, is in the bounds of marriage. Don't commit adultery. Well, fair enough. That's one of the restrictions. Uh, don't consume blood. Definitely there in the text and all through the New Testament. Don't steal. Not sure where that came from. Don't murder. Got it. Okay, and don't bear false witness. What's not listed for Noah? There's no honouring of mother and father. And Sabbath observance. And there's no Sabbath observance, yeah. And there's no, no jealousy. Well, it might have been hard for Noah to be jealous of anybody else because 
he's it. But um, not covered. Yeah. Yeah. And so okay. So how do they get this? Well, let's have let's have a read from a book of Jubilees. Jubilees is a uh, is rewritten Genesis and Exodus in the Second Temple period. Jubilees chapter seven says, uh, in the twenty eighth Jubilee. Noah began to enjoin upon his sons the ordinances and the commandments and all the judgments that he knew. And he exhorted his sons to observe righteousness and to cover the shame of their flesh. It had happened to him. And to bless their creator and honor father and mother. Well, that's not in the text. It's a rereading. And to love their neighbor. Well, borrowing a bit from from Leviticus there, and to guard their souls from fornication and uncleanliness and iniquity. For owing to these three things came the flood upon the earth, namely, owing to fornication, wherein the watchers against the law of their ordinances went a whoring after the daughters of men, so that's the angels uh, breeding with women, and took for themselves wives, of which they choose and made the beginning of uncleanliness. They begat the sons, the, the Nephilim, and they were all unlike. They devoured one another. The giants slew the Nephal, and the Nephal slew Ejo, and Ejo slew mankind, and they all one another. And, uh, and, and uh, it continues. And then after this, they sinned against the beasts and the birds and all that moves and all that walks upon the earth, and much blood was shed, and every imagination desire of men imagined all vanity and evil continuously. And the Lord destroyed everything from the face of the earth because of their wickedness and because of the blood which they had shed in the midst of the earth. He destroyed everyone. So there's a strong connection with jubilees and, and blood. And, uh, um, and so you can see that in, the, in this rendition of Jubilees chapter 7, you can see a very, a very, very similar list of seven laws, which we today call the seven laws of Noah. And this happens about 200 years prior to Jesus. So people have been rereading Genesis and rewriting it. And as they do, they begin to throw in bits of other parts of, uh, of the Torah. And you end up with um, uh, honoring mother and father, love your neighbor, guard your souls from fornication, uh, watch out for, 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 eating, for shedding blood. Okay. Aaron, can I just ask, which verses of chapter 7 is that? That's verses 20 to 28. Okay. okay. And uh, so I didn't read the last couple of verses. So the Didache, chapter 3. Now the Didache is um, uh, what they call the teachings of the apostles. And so this is a, a book that's sitting inside the canon of the early church for the first couple of hundred years. And uh, in chapter 3, Again, it's something very similar to what you find in the seven laws of Noah. So the teachings from the apostles say, uh, my child, turn away from everything evil, even from anything that resembles it. Control your anger, for anger leads to murder. So don't murder, which is Genesis 9. Control your jealousy. Don't bicker, nor be hot-tempered, for all these things are the root of murder. My child, don't entertain lust in your heart, for lust leads to immorality. Do not be foul-mouthed, nor allow your eyes to roam, for all these are the roots of adultery. So um, relationships are very important in the early, early church. My child, do not practice any part of omens, because this leads to idolatry. So no idol worship, again, part of the seven laws. Do not practice enchantments or self-centered astrology or black magic, nor join with all those who exhibit these things. These all lead to idolatry. 
My child, don't lie. So there's, again, don't lie is, is part of um, the Ten Commandments and according to the seven laws as well, although it's not in Genesis 9. Don't lie because lying leads to theft, so don't steal. Do not accumulate selfish wealth. Okay. It doesn't say don't accumulate wealth, don't accumulate selfish wealth, nor build uh, conceit because of all these things lead to the theft. My child, don't grumble because this leads to blasphemy. Okay, so let's uh, be careful with the name of God. Don't be arrogant or evil-minded because all these lead to blasphemy. Rather, be meek, for they will inherit the land of promise. Okay, that's, uh, that's Jesus from Mark. Ah, uh, sorry, from Matthew. Be humble, patient, merciful, gentle, and good, always showing proper respect and reverence for that which you have heard. Never seek self-exaltation, nor be overconfident in your own self. You must not be joined with the worldly upper class, <laughs> but with the righteous and the humble. That's an interesting little phrase there. Uh, whatsoever things that happened to you should be taken as good. After all, we know that nothing happens apart from God. So both the Didache and, and the Book of Jubilees reflect uh, this discussion that, um, of the seven laws, that prior to Genesis, prior to Mount Sinai, prior to Deuteronomy 5, God has had a dealing with Gentiles. And what's the one thing that's not, oh, several things that are not there. Some don't talk about honouring mother and father. Some don't talk about the Sabbath. That seems to be something very peculiar to Mount Sinai. Once God comes and talks to his people, he seems to bring out, I really care about the way you treat your parents. Your parents are actually supposed to be teaching you the, the faith and teaching their children these laws, and this is going to prolong your life in the land. And I'm quite concerned about this thing called the Sabbath, but that is not something that he has mentioned prior uh, to this. So this is not new per se, but it is new in terms of creating a list and declaring them to the people, particularly to a people who are about to go in, invade a territory and create a society. We're about to go in, take possession of a land. What kind of society are we going to create after we've done our invasion? Well, God wants it to be a very just and humane society with a lot of social cohesiveness. And in particular, will be the honouring of your parents. In particular, will be um, uh, a special day. Whereas the Gentiles have pretty much all the other rules as, as well. Okay. All right, so going back now to our text, all right. um, Deuteronomy, that is, Deuteronomy 13, oh, in Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 13. Oh, we'll just cry to that. In the Shema, what is the, how do we, we, we say, Shema Israel, Adonai, Lehenu, Adonai, Echad, Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And, uh, and then what do you do? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you shall... Be can be Be That's the key, the key phrase, okay? In, in Deuteronomy 6, it does not say love your neighbour as yourself, okay? But, of course, Kaylee would be able to tell you that uh, in Leviticus, um, you're also the um, you love your neighbor as yourself, right? And so that phrase, that's the thing that links all the Shema together. 
Okay, so you can take verses from all over the Bible as long as they begin with the phrase va'ahavta. Once you've got those, the, that word uh, with a vav in front, you can put everything, everything together. That's a, a form of Jewish exegesis. Uh, which existed and actually still does exist, and you see Yeshua doing it in the New Testament, particularly when he comes uh, in his first sermon out of the desert in Luke 4. When he's wrestling with uh, the text from Isaiah, he, he pulls verses from Isaiah together, which are not in the same verse, uh, the same passage of Scripture. Uh, and so the Shema does exactly the same thing. Hear, O Israel, uh, the, uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God. And because of that phrase, and you shall love, we can link anything that comes in the Bible that starts with the phrase, and you, sh and you shall love, and put it all, all together, as though, as though God was saying all of that in this one section. I mean, he didn't, but it's as though he did. And so uh, the Shema to this day, says you shall love the Lord your God uh, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that was alive and well at the time of Yeshua uh, 2,000 years ago, and that same way piece of exegesis is here today. And so... Of interest, does there have to occur in more than two places, or is it just those two? Uh, anyone else know? I think it occurs in three, if, if, if memory serves me right. Uh, and I think in my notes, I probably should write them down. I think it occurs in three, and I think if you get the full Shema, because the full Shema is like about three paragraphs long, isn't it? Kaylee, have you ever said it, the whole thing? Yeah, the whole thing, not just the one line. <laughs> I just want to say another, just one more thing, because me and Roddy read it. Um, Roddy, where is it in John? about Yeshua coming and saying, you should love each other like how I love you. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. standard. It's not only love God and love each other. Yeah. It's the whole Shema? No. So, no, no, no. <laughs> that's, what, you're, what you're talking about, Kaylee, is actually mm -hmm. something we just did last week. Um, it's called the New Commandment. Uh, a, a, a fair chunk of the New Testament actually isn't new. And I'll put that in closed quotes because Yeshua is, is kindly, constantly saying, you've heard it read. You've, you've, you've sent this. You know, you know what, what, what should be uh, the proper piece of exegesis. Um, he gives his disciples a new commandment. He says, you need yeah. to love like I've loved. That, yeah. and, and that is a very unique command of Jesus. He does appear in John, absolutely right. And um, during Holy Week, during Passover, um, on the Thursday, which is when Yeshua actually is having his Passover, um, it's, the, it's the, the church universal around the world. Most of them probably don't know why they're doing it. But the reason they do it is because they rehear that command. It's the one time of the year where someone stands up and actually reads, Jesus says, love as I've loved. And in old, old, old uh, English, it's called Monday. In, in Latin, nuvo mandatum, new mandate, new commandment. In old English, Monday. And uh, 
instead of uh, mandate, it's Monday. And so it became Monday Thursday. Um, it was the day you went out and, and, and gave the new, uh, re reheard the new commandment. Um, yeah, it's uh, that command to love like Jesus loved. That's our, that's our new one. It's tough, but we better do it. <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But, 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 but again, the same theology that's in Deuteronomy 6 is going to be in, in the New Testament. That same thing where he says that this is, I'm giving you commands. It's, it's part of your righteousness. Or how can I possibly obey them? How can I possibly love like you've loved? I need, but, but, but God thinks we can do it. Because he's going to give us his, his, some help. Uh, namely the Holy I have Spirit. a question. Go for it, Nancy. Um, did, did you ask, um, you know, the, the entire Shema? It's my understanding that the entire Shema is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It's, it's not just hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, correct. the Lord is one, That's but, right. and you shall love the name. Okay. Yep, you, you're correct. It's a lot longer than just a couple of sentences, and, uh, and it also has some other, other verses tacked in there. Usually when there's um, key words that are the same, then you can add those verses in. Well, when you were asking about where the where Vehavta appeared, um, it appears in the Shema after the first ver after the first verse, Shema Israel, Adonai Alechenu, Adonai Achad, Baruch Sham Kavod Machkuto Lo Alam Ve'ed. Um, then it's Vehavta et Adonai. So that's the second. That that's I guess I don't know if it's the first or second time Vehavta appears, but then it's also in Leviticus. That's the right, that's right. Vehavta, and yeah. there's another one. Where is the other one? Do you know? Not off the top of my head. It's uh, it's, it, it, it's either two or three times, um, and it's because it's only those few times that you can velcro those words together, and that's why Leviticus is in the Shema. Thank you. And uh, because otherwise that would be an exegetical nightmare to come up with how do you just pick a verse and shove it in another book of the Bible? Um, is, 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 is the, the Vehavta Levacha Chamoka, that's Leviticus 19.18? Yes. Um, and I understood maybe incorrectly that that was not actually a part of the Shema, which is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, but it was tacked on. Well, the, the, the Shema is a word which is in, Levit, in Deuteronomy. Hear and obey. Yes. And so exactly. it's, become, it's become an oath of allegiance, which has developed in the Second Temple period. And in its development, they added the verse from Leviticus, based on exegetical rules that they had internally, which allowed them to, to lift verses and add them together because of the, the similar, because of the same word that's used, ve'ahavta. Does that help, Nancy? That so, helps tremendously. Thank so you. By the, so by the time of Yeshua, by the time of Jesus, Jesus is born into a, into a community that's got a very well-developed way of reading the Bible. And he himself becomes a master of it. Yes, he wrote it, but he also studied it and learned it. 
which is a bizarre thing to think about. But it, but it did it. All right. Just for completeness sake, shall I say, the, the full Shema includes three passages. Yep. One we're reading, and then Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 to 31. Okay. And then number 15, 37 to 41. Yep. So it's got did you say Numbers 15? Yes, Numbers 15, 37 to 41. That's the Tzitziot one, the one about okay. tassels. We have to wear the Thank tassels. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And the one, the one about the, the, the Medusa as well on, on, the, on the doorpost. Yeah. 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 All right. So going now into, into Deuteronomy 6, Moses' little rendition. Okay. He's got the people together. We've discovered that there's going to be only the one Lord. How do we relate to him? We're going to relate to him with all our heart, our soul, and strength. And then he says also, fear the Lord, which we talked a little bit about last week, that love and fear actually go hand in hand. Fear isn't necessarily this thing of quaking. Uh, REA had a great passionate, uh, two weeks ago, a little passionate spiel about um, being in awe of God, that fear is also a very reverent, awestruckness that there's a there's actually also an overwhelming part of love within fear that uh, you have before this 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 god now we're only we're to serve him in verse 13 and only take oaths in his name so there is this uh there oaths are things you do which we discussed two weeks ago about um we'll take the oath of marriage even though Yeshua said, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. No one stands up in front of a minister and just goes, yep, and that's it. Okay, that would be a very short ceremony uh, and then we'd all get married. Um, I think that's actually what you do in front of a registrar, but don't quote me on it because I've never done it before. Um, uh, the Lord, why should we not follow other gods, even though Moses has been very clear to point out in chapter 4 that there are no other gods? Right? The first mono, clear monotheistic statement is in Deuteronomy. Now a couple of chapters later, God, he says, don't follow other gods as if they were even real. For the Lord your God who is among you, which is also the unique characteristic of the people of Israel, is that God lived with them. God came out of Egypt with them. There are many... Emmanuel, right? Sir? Emmanuel. Emmanuel, God with us. Yes. This whole idea, how, how, who is going to be the redeemer? Well, it'll be God himself. How's it going to be happening? Because he himself is always here. Okay? He has never left his people. So God is among us. Not only is our God among us, he's a jealous God. Jealousy is a characteristic. It's also uh, an emotion. And it is not a sin. And uh, envy is jealousy. No. And uh, God can get angry. Again, anger, not a sin, but it can lead to it. Yes, uh, Neville. Um, one possibly helpful way of understanding the difference between jealousy and envy is that jealousy is the feelings you can have on behalf of things which are genuinely your own. Yes. Envy is the emotion towards that which is not your own. So therefore, the, the Lord is righteously jealous about his name and his people because they actually belong to him. That's a nice way of putting it. Yes, absolutely. And therefore you would want him to be actually jealous. It becomes a good characteristic. Uh, the, 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 it does uncover with a warning though, is that um, 
if, if we do spurn the Lord, then he will get angry and he will actually destroy. And so there is this um, element that God is not a softy, which is what you find in this week's Torah portion. Does anyone know which one it is from? Okay. Okay, it's where we, we burn uh, Nadav and Avihu, I think. Oops. And uh, you think, hang on a second. That doesn't seem like a very nice thing. Um, they only wanted to worship the Lord, uh, and yet, and yet they, they die. And so, but God is not just your big cuddly teddy bear and, and just does everything for you and just um, is acquiescent to everybody's behavior. You wouldn't want a God like that anyway. In fact, you wouldn't want a friend like that. If your friend just said that everything you did was fine, never once said what you were doing was, was, was foolish, then they wouldn't really be your friend. And the same is also true with God. In fact, even, even more so. Yeah. That would just make it an enabler. Yes, and God is not an enabler. He wants you to be empowered, yes. And you get the Holy Spirit, yes. But he's not an en enabler. And so here he has this thing about, um, you know, you have the, there is the possibility with God getting angry and that involving then um, some punishment and never want to fall into the hands of a wrathful God. Um, and, and then there's that in verse 16, don't put the Lord your God to the test, which was uh, this, this thing in Numbers um, of, uh, of, of, which led to the rock. Uh, and uh, and the striking of the rock, and then Moses not getting um, put, get allowed to get into the Holy Land. In verse 20, uh, God says, in the future, now remember, blessings are from the past. Your future is dependent upon your present. In the future, when your son asks you, this is going to happen, and this happens uh, in, in the Passover narrative, what is the meaning of the rules, the stipulations, the decrees and the laws the Lord our God has commanded you? you know, your son comes to you and says, all right, Dad, why are you doing what you do? No, seriously, man, why, why are you following all these crazy rules? The guy down the street doesn't. He seems to be doing just fine. Why do you do? Why have you got this funny thing on your head? Why have you got tzitzit? Why, why do you not work on Shabbat? Uh, and then he has to respond by saying, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. Okay, so you go all the way back to history. Your answer in the future is represented by your connection to history. Right? And we often, as a people, we constantly forget our history. Oh my gosh, history is one of the worst subjects. People, people don't like it, people don't like studying it, people don't like reading about it, and yet. It's incredibly valuable. And God says, we were, well, you are to say, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Look what he's done for us. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible they were, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us and give us the land that he promised to the oath of our forefathers. So why are we here? We're here because of what the Lord has done for us. Okay, not our army, not our air force, not our own personal righteousness, none of those things. Right? So the, the way you're telling the historical story is we were slaves, we had nothing, 
We were no bodies. We weren't supercalifragilistic and or expialidocious. We were not rock stars. <laughs> and God, in his power, took us out. He gave us this. Remember the land in the Bible so far, in the first uh, five chapters of Deuteronomy, is called the inheritance. The land is an inheritance, and the people of Israel are called an inheritance to God. This is, the people are God's inheritance. That's his special thing that he, he owns. And the, and the land is given as an inheritance. But he brought us, this is verse 23, but he brought us out from there to bring us and give us the land he promised to our ancestors. Verse 24, the Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God. So why am I doing what I'm doing? Because God told me to. Okay, that's a classic line. I don't understand, but, I, but I've, got, I've got some rules. So, and it comes with a caveat, that we might always prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And so our future is dependent upon our present. Okay. Next verse. And slightly problematic and well worth a good half hour's discussion in 10 minutes. And if we are careful to obey all this law, okay, and what's the word there, Roddy? Are you still on? Mitzvot. Mitzvot. If you are careful to obey all this mitzvot before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. It's like, hang on, because I'm pretty sure that in my Protestant theology, that can't happen. Can I just check, Aaron, that in my version, this is the ESV, it says this commandment singular in that last verse, like it does in the first verse. Is it mitzvah? Um, well, my version says, if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God. Kaylee, Kaylee, the last verse on Deuteronomy 10, is it mitzvah or mitzvot? It, it might be mitzvah. Yes? It's uh, just one. Singular. Uh, no, it's actually kol ha-mitzvah. Kol ha-mitzvah. Interesting. All the commandments. All the commandments. All the commandment. Yeah, but it doesn't say kol mitzvot, which yes, is an, it's like a modern Hebrew. I, I guess in an old version of the Hebrew, kol mitzvah is actually kol mitzvot. no? I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. And I'm sure there's probably lots of rabbinical discussions saying, hey, it should have said mitzvot, but it only says mitzvah, and what does that mean? And does that mean it's the first commandment that, and how do you do all of it? If, with your heart, your soul, and your strength. Maybe if you only love God with your strength, that's not enough. That could be an interesting take on it. You know, I could love God with my heart, but then don't do anything with my property, and maybe that's not enough. You know, that, that could be there. Okay, I'm not 100% sure, but um, different translations are obviously going to be wrestling with what that means. But um, this is a difficult passage because how can you command people to do something that they can't do? Any ideas, guys? Can you repeat it? Okay. Um, God says, yeah, if we are, if, if, so, so this is a parent, okay? This is a parent talking to his son. If we are careful to obey all the law, okay, that our God has commanded us, 
This will be our righteousness, except we know from other verses that no one is righteous. And we know from other verses that, okay, there was a few people, but, but there's only supposed to be... There's, um, so how can you be setting up... How can God be saying these things when, when there are other verses that say you can't possibly do this? Aaron? Yes, sir. Okay. <laughs> the way I see these things, we first, we have to understand that there are differences between the word Torah, which means instruction. Yes. There's a difference between mitzvah, mitzvot. Yes. There's a difference between commandment. There's a difference between law. Yep. And, and if we don't understand these, then this is where we get confused. This is talking about the mitzvot or kol mitzvah of the righteousness, which would be salvation. These other things can be applied to a relationship issue. So we, we have to think about all of these things as we're discussing this. Salvation is one issue, but relationship is something different. Okay, yes. Uh, relationships, salvation is not independent or vis-a-vis entirely dependent all at the same time on obedience yet they're they're part and parcel of the of the of within the within the the frame i always look at these passages when i come to wrestling with this how can you how can god say just just you know keep the commandments and that'll be your righteousness when a prophet will definitely come along and say oh my gosh no one is righteous King David will say in his Psalms, look, my righteousness is terrible. Look, I, I, you know, I constantly blow it, but don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Is, um, and I know I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Genesis 26, 5. God, Abraham's dead. God is now talking to the son. And, uh, and, and, and God says to Isaac, your father, and he actually uses all four words. Your right. father kept all my chokim, mitzvot, uh, mishpatim, and torot. And you're like, well, actually, how could he possibly do that? Okay, that's Genesis 26.5. That can't physically be a true statement, yet it's from God. Yes, because it's about the heart. And, that's, and this is, again, clear with what, with what Moses is doing in his commentary on the Torah. The people of Israel have had the Torah since Mount Sinai. We've wandered around the desert. We've had the tabernacle. God has been present. We've been engaging in, in the uh, temple cult, the ritual. Um, I don't know exactly what they've been teaching the people because some of it hasn't been so good. We've had to kill Nadav and Avihu. We've had to open up the earth and swallow Korah. You know, we've had the golden calf. We, we haven't quite done all that positive. Now we're about to enter the land of Israel. And instead of just Moses saying, okay, you've had the Torah. Let's just, just follow that. You'll be fine. Knows, Oh, we've got an issue. And he, 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 he begins to make sure that the Torah has always meant to be implied upon the heart. And hence the heavy, heavy emphasis to love the Lord, your God with your heart. Make sure these laws are on your heart and guard your heart above all else. Yes. And, uh, and Can I read from Deuteronomy 30? Yeah, absolutely. It says, Before you start reading, uh, I have a question. New okay. King James. Well, Can King I ask question. one quick question? Okay, Nancy, what's your quick question? 
Well, you made the statement that, you know, um, how, how was it that, you know, one section it says we're supposed to be perfect, but God knows we can't be perfect. And yeah. then you mentioned Abraham. Wasn't Abraham's trusting God, trusting, imputed to him as righteousness? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Cleared yeah. that up. Thank you. Well, well but also remember... If, if God says, Abraham has kept all my laws, yet has not Abraham lied? Oh, yeah. Yes. So, therefore, he can't have actually kept all his laws, but God will say, yes, he did. And, uh, and, because and, his trusting was imputed as righteousness, correct? And, so, and, and I think that's a, a good way to think into when we're all struggling with, with, with acknowledging the instructions of God being good and things that we should definitely do and, and knowing that at the end of every day, we have to say, well, we fail. Yet at the same time saying, well, actually, tomorrow I'm going to try again because I know that they're good. I know that they're beneficial for me. I know that they actually give long life. I know that they're actually uh, part of uh, the righteousness of God. Uh, and, 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 and this constant daily working out my salvation with fear and trembling, as Paul also wrestles with it. but knowing that on the other hand as well, I still can't do it. And yet, as Abraham, I can. Aaron, can I just add a thought about Abraham? This comes from Genesis 15. Yep. Where you have the act of the cutting the covenant and the animals cut in half. And you know the story. It's, it's the, the light and the smoke of the presence of God goes down the middle between the animals' halves, but... Abraham is in a, in a sleep and he doesn't. So it's as if you say that the Lord takes upon himself the burden of the covenant that if the covenant is broken, he will, be, he will bear the punishment. All Abraham has to do, he was not required to walk through, he was required just to believe that God meant what he said. Mm. So his, the covenant obligations for, for the Lord are to die for the sins of the breaking of the covenant but the covenant obligation for abraham is to believe that god means what he says and the covenant still requires abraham to obey yeah yep all at the same time but the what i find also interesting about that the last person passage we're looking at where it says if we are careful commandment i feel it's it's emphasis more in taking care to do it. In other words, the intention to be very careful, but not necessary to see to the point of perfection. Yeah. And we know that there's always um, grace. And um, like you said to, to Abraham, uh, um, walk before me, uh, um, walk before me in blameless. Um, and it, the idea of being blameless, actually, when it's evaluated by God, there is always room for grace. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the so, uh, Bernardo, you were going to write yeah. in the end. Of um, it's it's not New King James. It's KJVER. Oh. Which is not easy to read for me. I don't know okay. why. But. Go for it. Okay. It says, um, "If you shall heart," that's verse ten. If you shall hearken to the voice of Jehovah, your Elohim, to keep his commandments, plural, and his statutes, plural, 
which are written in the book of the law, singular. And if you turn to Yehovah, your Elohim, with all your heart and with all your soul, for this commandment, singular, which I command you to this day, it is not hidden from you, neither it is far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Neither it is beyond the sea that you should say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near to you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. Yep. And again, he, he, there's the idea of taking something plural, turning it into one and saying you can, and, and you find that that, that, that way of, uh, of, do, of biblical exegesis is you take all the 613 laws and you shrink them down to two, love the Lord your God with all your heart and uh, love your neighbor as yourself, and then it goes back out again. And the New Testament does exactly the same thing. You've got nearly twice the number of commandments in the New Testament, but they shrink it all down. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And then after you that, you go back out again. Well, now that you do love God, make sure you don't sleep with your secretary, uh, murder your neighbor's dog, uh, drink your, the, the blood of a donkey, you know, these kinds of things. You do a bit of, yeah, you, you, you shrink it down to its core, and then you, again, expand it out. Uh, your secretary could be your wife, man. Well, one would hope, right? Because, you know, men can't do nothing. That's why we got an Eve in the first place, right? Okay. And I'm sure that's what Adam was doing. Someone take notes. Okay, Eve, what are we supposed to do? And, uh, oh, what's this fruit? Um, and there's all kinds of, kinds of issues. Uh, I think for me, um, in, 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 in shrinking it down and, and taking it back up, you know, in the original 10 words, it was one, two, three, four, do this, do this, do this, do this. And then it's almost like, um, if you can't do that, then don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and don't do this. But Yeshua put it so succinctly, love God, love your neighbor, Everything else hangs on that because if you really love God and you really love your neighbor, then you're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to lie. You're not going to cheat. You're not going to steal. You're not going to do all the things that you're not supposed to do. And yes, and, and you should if you don't it? know how to love yourself, how can you love someone else if you don't know? Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. So and I agree, you. that is a hard, hard lesson because I used to really feel sorry for my neighbors thinking, boy, if I love my neighbors like I love myself, they're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So in, uh, in, in sort of summation, um, there is God has never been devoid from talking to his creation. He has shared his desire for the world, particularly through starting with Noah, uh, as we were restarting the world. While in, the, in Genesis 9, we might not be able to come to exactly the seven laws of Noah as they are known today. Um, how did they get there? Well, um, there's a being an Anglican. I'll use an Anglican uh, hero from the past, like a long, long, long time past. Uh, a guy called Richard Hooker. Anyone ever heard of him? 
Yeah. Okay. So he lived, uh, actually died in the six, just, just the 1600s. So he lived like 450 years ago. And uh, he was wrestling with how do you interpret scripture, particularly when it comes to passages that seem problematic. Um, and so he said, you have the, the first, the, the, the three pillars, scripture, believe what it says. But he also said tradition. It's, it also is the, the remember what your parents have done. Remember what you, the past. Don't forget. And, and that's what you also see Moses saying the same thing. Okay, honor your parents. Remember the past. There's the blessings of, the, of the, what the people have done in the past will, will be affecting you right now. Um, because the, the success that the, all the, the wealth that we are accumulating today, we pass that on to our children, right? And the blessings that we have today, pass them on to our children, and they're not always beneficial, okay? Um, you'll invade the land, you become successful, and then you're going to fail. Why? Because you got successful. But it's not inherently evil. Uh, and so there's this, this idea that remember the past, Keep, keep to the tradition as well. So scripture, tradition, and reason. Use your brain. Okay? It, uh, there, 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 uh, there is a, a way of interpreting the text that actually can make sense. And so tradition, scripture, and reason were his three big pillars. Uh, and you actually can see that in the Second Temple period, they were already doing that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and coming up with uh, and wrestling with some of the, the ideas that we've been wrestling with, 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 with today. All right. So, um, all right, guys. Thanks for wrestling the scriptures with me. We managed to finish uh, Deuteronomy 6. So Moses has given us the, um, the Shema, an oath of loyalty. Um, we have to love God and our neighbor. Those words are attached together because of... Uh, the common word. Um, God has never been separate from his people, has always been dwelling with them, and that includes Gentiles. Okay? He's been speaking to them since Genesis. Uh, but particular to the children of Israel, in the commands that God is, is that Moses is giving or God is giving on Mount Sinai, there is a, a strong uh, concept of honoring your parents, which we hadn't seen in Genesis before. In this idea that the, the ones who are instructing you on the faith and the patriarchs that have been before us are of benefit and deserve to be honoured. And, uh, and the way you behave in the present will affect your future. And, uh, and yet there's also this special day that appears uh, in the commandments, uh, the Sabbath, which had, not, which had been given in Genesis 1, had become created, and yet was not something that God decided that he would share with, with Noah, but he has uh, with, with Israel. And, uh, and that's another discussion that can open up yeah. and of worms. <laughs> yes. But because uh, like today, we were playing Shabbos Goy all day. Okay? And um, uh, yet we all know from the commandment that they can't ask us to do this. But they do. Because they will always turn around and say, but it's not in the seven laws of Noah. Not something for, for you. It was only given, given to us. Yet on a reading, a literal reading from the text in, in Genesis, it, it does apply to, 
to yeah. the stranger who's living inside your land. But that's another discussion uh, for another day. All right, guys. So next week we gather and um, God starts driving out the nations. Okay. And so that's going to open up another uh, interesting questions in, in relation to uh, for those that uh, live in this land with our neighbors vis-a-vis. And um, uh, uh, what, where do these peoples come from? Um, how do we relate to them? Um, what happens if we conquer them? Um, uh, what rules apply to them? All right. Okay, guys. So I'll look forward to wrestling the scriptures with you next week. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.